back on my own. I was going to say I'm back home. I, I was home last week because I haven't been able to go anywhere at all recently for all the reasons I spoke about last week. I'm going to talk more about that today. Let me do the sponsor thing first because we do need to give a shout out to Collide. So Collide has actually been there. How many weeks has Collide been there? Many weeks. Many weeks. Got Slack, got Max, get Collide, device security that fixes challenging problems. Thank you, beep, beep. Device security that fixes challenging problems by messaging your users on Slack. Try Collide today. So Collide, uh, I believe, let me confirm that from my memory from the last four weeks, which has been impacted by many, many different things to consider. Uh, Yes, it is the one that has all of the Slack integration, which of course is there and then the title as well. It's been a rough week. (laughs) I'll come back to that. But fortunately, because of sponsors like Collide, I can stay home and go absolutely nowhere and continue to do what I do. But in all seriousness, big thanks to those folks. That is many weeks that they have been there for now. uh, And it is an enormously big part of what I do. So go and check out Collide. Click the link, download the thing, give it a run. Cheers to the folks there. G'day, everyone joining in. Neil, Chile, Ottawa. Mitch is in Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah, Ottawa's going to be different <laughs> to here at the moment. Stephen, Benny in the UK, also different to here. Wayne, thank you everyone for joining. Uh, let me get the uh, the personal stuff out of the way first. Last week, Charlotte was with me. We mentioned that she had contracted COVID in what we thought was the most innocent of ways, I guess. Is there a very guilty way to contract COVID? All right, if you went to like a rave party with a thousand people, that would be maybe a guilty way of contracting it. We went over the road, had some drinks with some neighbours, next minute... A whole bunch of people had it. Now, Friday evening, it's Friday morning here for, for reference, so just under seven days ago, uh, she joined me. We did the thing. She tested negative that morning, which was great. Uh, but, of course, the rest of us were close contacts. Uh, Al, who's nine, Ari, who's 12, double vaxxed because he can be, and myself. And because we're close contacts, I mean, like proper, proper by every definition, close contacts, not this weird Australian thing now where it's like, oh, you need to be there for at least four hours <laughs> to be a close contact, which is about four hours longer than what Charlotte was over the road and contracted it. So we get through to Monday, just gone, bang on four days ago. Uh, and this is the day that the five to 11-year-olds can get their vax, which is a big, big thing. So I had our schedule, like, all right, We've got to test you before. In fact, we've got to test her and Ari and myself before we go. So we test Ari, negative. We test L, positive. <laughs> so, so L had it. Test me, negative. Um, now, she's nine. She is a dictionary definition of asymptomatic. Like, absolutely no problems whatsoever. Absolutely perfect. Uh, she had been spending the day in the pool Our pool, our personal pool, not out at another pool. Like literally hours, jumping around, going crazy, like just 100%. Uh, And she has remained 100% since then. And we look, we made a few little adjustments to the way we live. We didn't isolate her in a bedroom like we did Charlotte. It was like, okay, so you don't handle the clean plates. Uh, uh, You know, little things like that. And so four days later, she's still 100% asymptomatic. I need to test her. Soon. And then i got to test Ari again and myself again. Look, I know a bunch of people listening to this have to go through this yourselves. Uh, Aussies very recently, <laughs> folks in other parts of the world, much more. Um, yeah. 
Stephen's saying, still wish my 10-year-old could get vaxxed here in the UK, and she really wants it too. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about this in a moment, because it's, it, it, there has been some discussions this week around ages and vaxxers and <laughs> anti-vaxxers. But uh, look, I mean, ultimately, it's just one of these things, right, where it's like, really, the impact on us has been so ridiculously negligible. I mean, out of the four of us, the two girls have had it. Charlotte had a like a runny nose and a bit of a sore throat for a few days, and that was it. Uh, Al's had absolutely nothing. Obviously, Al didn't have any vaxxers. Charlotte had both her vaxxers and her booster the day before she contracted it as well, which was unfortunate, probably unfortunate timing. So spoke to uh, Al's doctor yesterday, and he said, look, give it give it a month now before she has the vax. And look, I guess she's um, she would have all sorts of antibodies as a result of, of having been positive. So... That, that seems to make sense. But part of the problem is going to take me to the, to the bit, and I don't mean to make this a whole COVID thing because I do have a lot of cyber stuff, but part of the, the problem that I've found is just finding reliable, consistent information from authoritative sources. Uh, there's a bunch of crap out there, as you've all seen. There's a lot of crap you can find very, very easily. But a perfect example of this is just finding a reference for how long should anyone, let alone a nine-year-old child, wait until having the vax after testing positive. And I I had actually spoken to one of the pediatric vax hotlines earlier in the day, and they said, look, you, you are eligible so long as it is one week after a positive test and you do not have any symptoms. So I'm like, okay, well that, all right, the, the doctor's going to say the same thing. No, doctor's like, give it a month. I've seen other resources which says, look, you've got antibodies for up to six months, which doesn't necessarily mean don't have it, the vax any sooner than that, but... Very hard to find reliable information, which is a big part of the problem. Wayne says, I've been testing twice or more every week, yet to be yet to be positive, <laughs> going to the office twice a week as well. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, here's the other thing. I had a meeting with some folks <laughs> online, because everything's been online, a couple of days ago, uh, folks in the US, and they were... And I appreciate this is all anecdotal information. I mean, we shouldn't ever rely on just, you know, small sample sets like this anti-vaxxers but i was hearing stories from them about how some people were had all the symptoms but didn't test positive so maybe they had a, just a normal flu uh other people were entirely uh asymptomatic and you know, what's what's the opposite of that uh had no symptoms and did test positive which is effectively the l situation again seven says you, you get really good at testing yourself after a while never thought i'd get good at sticking a stick up my nose yes that's what i'd say as well um so anyway, that's that's kind of where we are now. Now, the, the bit about the uh, disinformation, one of the things that has infuriated me, and I've got to stop doing this, is reading the comments. Like, we all know this, right? Like It's like when something's on Hacker News. Like, great, it's on Hacker News. Don't read the comments, for God's sake. You will do yourself in. I have been reading the comments. I actually had a theory that, I'm not going to do this, but hypothetically, if you went like all Cambridge Analytica on Facebook and you just you had access to enough data about demographics, you would see a very, very good alignment of stupid people supporting anti-vaxxing or stupid people being very much against the vaccine for kids. So this is one of the big themes I've seen. And, of course, we're all trying to read information and absorb it and make evidence-based decisions that are informed and intelligent. But there's so much noise around it. So one of the things I keep seeing, and I've got to remind myself that we're seeing a single-digit percentage of the population 
but we're just seeing like 90% of the comments from them because they seem to be the vocal minority. But the number of times we see comments around uh, anyone who gives their child the vaccine should be locked up. This is child abuse. This is experimental. This is blah, 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 blah. And it's just endless and endless. I even had physical spam mail in my letterbox the day before they started giving the kids the vax with all of the anti-vaxxer rhetoric on it. And then some stuff with one of the Kennedys, <laughs> like one of the Ted Kennedys or Robert F. Kennedy, one of these anti-vaxxers who seems to be trading on his name to get traction. I did actually find something quite funny, and I appreciate my own confirmation bias here in wanting to believe this, but it does actually seem to stack up. There's a graph. In fact, I saved it to my phone. I was going to tweet it, and then I was like, oh, I just, just don't want to argue about it. <laughs> There's this great bubble graph here. Vaccine rates, all 3,144 U.S. counties across the 50 states plus D.C., uh, and this graph shows this massive alignment between the percentage of total population fully vaccinated as a per county and the 2020 Trump vote percentage. And there's this really, you don't even have to see the axes, but you can see a really clear alignment here of you are much less likely to get vaccinated if you voted for Trump and vice versa. Uh, we talk, it's politics on the other side of the world. What do I know? I'm Australian. Comments. <laughs> Stephen's just realized he spelled nose wrong. Very good. Uh, actually, last thing on that. So that, that has mean has mean has meant that we've, for all intents and purposes, remained isolated. What's today? I lose track. For two weeks now, because it was the it was New Year's Eve that uh, that our neighbour said she uh, she was positive. Uh, so for two weeks the. We basically have been nowhere. The rare exceptions are like I, I can go and get shopping direct to boot. So I can drive the car up, pop the boot open, and they will drop the shopping bags in there. Um, I have obviously tested negative and no symptoms. I feel comfortable staying in my car. Anyway, look, we're, we're all guessing. Australia's just had massive, massive upticks in, in COVID rates. Uh, and you know, the thing I remember, I remember hearing... Over the course of 2021, things like the UK has just hit 100,000 cases a day. And we're like, holy shit, it's 100,000 cases a day. That is massive. Now, for, for context, the UK has got two and a half times more people than Australia. Yesterday, Australia had 153,000 cases. Now, it's a little bit higher yesterday because they've started uh, allowing people to self-report positive rapid antigen tests. In fact, they've made it illegal not to in New South Wales, our state 30K that way, uh, with threat of a $1,000 fine if you test positive and not report. I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but it does obviously drive the numbers up. Uh, now, McBlazington says, my favourite thing about anti-vaxxers is it makes it really easy to feel like a good parent. <laughs> That's very true, right? But it does make me angry. And part of it is because I've been sitting around here pretty much unable to go anywhere. It's just like Facebook, Facebook. Oh, shit. Max, how are your rat supplies? My personal rat supplies are sufficient for needs at the moment, primarily because I managed to order some before stuff got really, really crazy here. Uh, and then on New Year's Eve, when we when we're worried about testing positive, and for folks that missed it last week, there were six couples with literally within the stone's throw here. We have a really friendly neighbourhood, and three kids, and we all went over there. And then the next day it was positive, so we we're all lots of good friends. 
uh, and when we we found out that there was there was a risk of exposure, I managed to buy. I think I managed to buy about thirty of them to suffice for uh, what's that in total? Fifteen people, uh, and, and it looks like we will burn through all of those by the time we get to the end of this. Prior to that, I had ordered some which have since arrived, so I have sufficient for the moment. But as a society, the rat supplies are extraordinarily low. Uh, the nasal swabs in particular seem to be very, very low. I did look on Kogan uh, for, for the Aussies there, kogan.com.au, a couple of days ago, and they had um, saliva swabs, but you could only buy – what have they got now? You could only buy them in a pack that cost 200 Aussie dollars, uh, which, look, I mean, probably the, the per test measure is the one that is the most, uh, most important here. However, for the – I was going to say the vast majority, a lot of Aussies, a lot of people anywhere, um, paying for these tests is a barrier to entry. Uh, so here's a good example. Well, they do actually. So they've got a five-pack for $55. One of the things that's happened in Australia for folks in other parts of the world is there's been a lot of price gouging. So there were unscrupulous pharmacies selling these things at many tens of dollars each when they should be about $10 each. Via Kogan here, uh, rapid antigen nasal test pack. Okay, that's that's cool. Fifty-five dollars for a five pack. Um, that's great. They appear to be in stock. Two hundred and forty-five dollars for a twenty pack for a saliva test. Uh, that that is fantastic. I'm really happy to see they have these back in stock. I do feel it's a little bit like um, the toilet paper situation. Uh, I'm sure it was the same in many parts of the world where. <laughs> What do we get? Nearly two years ago, when stuff started getting locked down, it's like everyone bought toilet paper. There's none left. So there you go. Kogan.com uh, ships on the 15th of Feb, which is tomorrow. No, it's not. Shit. It's tomorrow in a month. Okay. It's a pre-sale. Just don't get sick between tomorrow and a month. Oh, man. That sucks. Right. So, yes, the answer to your question, Max, is the supplies are very, very bad. Which, of course, means that all the numbers that we're seeing are extraordinarily underreported. And you've got all of these people who are possibly positive in going out in the community because they can't get tested. Or as we saw with Al, they could be completely asymptomatic in going out in the community. Uh, then there's the financial barrier to entry. The Australian government has pretty much said, look, someone has to pay for them. So it's, it's going to be you. <laughs> like It's either you to go and buy them from the shop or it's you via your taxes. And there does seem to be uh, some... Uh, some support available for people in certain financial situations, I believe, to get rapid antigen tests. PCR tests are still almost impossible because of just the massive, like, seven-hour wait or sleep in your car sort of stuff. So it's a mess. It is a mess. It's a mess. Um, Stephen says, uh, yikes, so glad they're currently still free in the UK. You guys had a much better head start as well in the UK. So I know from speaking to Scott Helm on multiple occasions, that was something that uh, that was freely available much earlier on. We were late here in Oz. I don't know who's to blame for that, but it was late. Tutorials for check. Troy, do you think the COVID details are being handled properly by the governments? <laughs> um, it's a question that sort of begs a yes or no answer, but it's there isn't a yes or no answer. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I tweeted probably about an hour ago about just an egregiously bad security flaw in one of the uh, Indian... Uh, systems to record COVID positive patients. And it was literally like, go to this URL and it just lists 2 million plus people with all their PII. 
So in that case, no. In cases like Australia, uh, more so, <laughs> more so good. But I think the thing that is challenging here is everyone is building systems under duress, number one, uh, so they're very reactionary. Number two, at the moment, a lot of people are just simply not able to work. Uh, there's a lot of cafes and things here that just simply aren't opening because their staff are sick uh, or, or they're in close contact. There's so much COVID here. Aussie government has said, look, just just assume that everyone is going to get it. Uh, and, and they've said that in multiple different ways. One of the things I saw recently said there's a very high likelihood you will contract COVID, particularly in January. Um, other times we've, we've seen other messaging of a similar nature. So when that happens and we've got everything from baristas through to software developers who are sick and then we're trying to build systems to get them out there quickly to react to the changing environment, yeah, mistakes are going to be made. Mistakes are made at the best of times. So I have a pimpone exists. Let's move on to that. Let's uh, actually start talking about some actual cyber stuff 17 minutes into the whole thing. Data breaches. They don't stop. <laughs> they don't stop just because there's COVID. Now, I thought I'd just run through briefly the backstory on a bunch of these. I think I listed about five here, which is pretty much the uh, five that have happened uh, of any note since since I got back from holidays. Yeah, geez, I remember. Oh, yeah, I went on holidays, didn't I? That sounds like a distant memory. All right, so in order, Redline Stealer. So Redline Stealer is malware, and... <laughs> Hackers don't always secure their databases. Uh, funny story. So Bob Dychenko, who has found many, many exposed things, very noteworthy security researcher, uh, did actually find some redline stealer malware uh, logs exposed. Uh, within there, there were 6 million records, according to his tweet. The actual number of unique email addresses was less than that. I actually forgot to put that in the description of the tweet, uh, unfortunately. But this was December 30. So all of that went into have a been pwned. Only 26% were already in the system, which makes me think that there was something a little bit odd about that data set. Um, now, I didn't dig too much more into it, but something a little bit odd because when we move on to the next ones, you see the percentages. So, so the next one here is uh, DatPiff. So it's a mixtape site, a rap mixtape site. I'd never heard of it. But they were breached late last year. 7.5 million email address and password pairs. They're on a hacking forum, allegedly cracked from an MD5 hash source, so the passwords were there in plain text. Uh, my understanding is they weren't stored in plain text. They were stored in MD5, which is basically like storing them in plain text. Now, they also had security questions and answers, which, of course, are always in plain text. 81% of those already in Have I Been Pwned. So that's gone in there. The next one here, Flexbook. Now, Flexbook was interesting, and there's a, a more of a backstory to this. I had someone, in fact, I have a feeling I had two people send me Flexbooker data late last year. Now, Flexbooker is like a booking system, and I subsequently learned it's a booking system that is integrated into multiple other services, one of them being Bunnings Click and Collect. So Bunnings is a massive hardware store here in Australia. It's where you go to get your sausages. Aussies know what I mean. But you can go online, you can order your hardware things, uh, and then you can drive up there, and there's this particular section you go to, and they're a little bit like my shopping experience for the groceries. They will give you the things, and you just put it in your boot. 
Now, they used Flexbooker in order to make those bookings. And I assume there are many, many other services that also used Flexbooker. Now, this data was sent to me. In in fact, I remember which day it was that I started having this discussion with them because it was the day we all went and got, or almost all of us, went and caught COVID. It was the 30th of December. So the data was sent to me. I verified it pretty quickly. Uh, I also could not find any reference to the data being public. I contacted the company. And every time I'd, I really hate having to do this because disclosure, as I said so many times, is painful, often thankless, and very, very time consuming. So I sent the email off and I'm like, ah, oh, crap, no, at least I'm going to go and have some beers tonight. You know, it'll be, it'll be fine. It wasn't fine, obviously. Another story. Anyway, like literally 10 minutes later, I get a reply. Uh, and without sort of going into the, into the, the details, uh, in such a way that might disclose a private discussion, we ended up on a Zoom call very, very quickly afterwards. The, the company responded enormously well, enormously well on the 30th of December. So why did this go into Have I Been Pwned on the 6th of January? They wanted time. Uh, what continues to frustrate me with this is is, is not so much that they want a time. I mean, they're like many other companies, they're a very small organization, but like many other companies that get breached where they're just like, what the hell has just happened? What do we do next? Who do we talk to? Do we need lawyers? Do we have to disclose to regulatory bodies and so on and so forth? But what frustrates me in general is that this data was on a popular hacking forum being exchanged backwards and forwards. There would have been a thousand people that already had this. And then I'm sitting with this and it's like, I want to let my almost 4.1 million subscribers now and have I been pwned know that they've been impacted or at least the subset of Flexbooker subscribers that are within my 4.1 million sample size. Yet I'm waiting for them to make a statement and I waited eight days. And that, I struggle with that. I, I struggle with the fact that I had eight days where I could have let people know about this earlier and I waited. Uh, and I'm, I'm just not sure if that is the right thing for me to do. Um, I do that because let's imagine they weren't as nice as what they are. And let's imagine I still did disclosure. I think it's the right thing to do. But then I went, just so you know, da, 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 here's what's happened. I'm loading it tomorrow. I could imagine, particularly companies in one American corner of the world getting very litigious about this sort of thing. They do like to get litigious over there. And I want to be able to keep running this service. I don't want to cop a lawsuit or anything nasty that stops me from being able to do what I do. I also don't want to keep sitting on data that's actively being abused and I know it's being abused and the company that's had it exposed knows it's being abused and I sit there with potentially 4.1 million subscribers just not knowing that they've been breached. I, I just still, still feel enormously uncomfortable about that and I don't know the right answer. If you know the right answer, drop a comment and tell me how to fix this thing. It's frustrating. Anyway, that's now out there. Uh, I noticed Bunnings has done their disclosure a few days ago, but, you know, again, we're now talking about an incident that was uh, disclosed 15 days ago uh, and it's only the last couple of days we've seen messages from the likes of Bunnings. So, again, I, I lament the lead time. 
Other things I care much less about consequences of. Doxbin. <laughs> so I was aware of Doxbin. Doxbin is a website for doxing, the colloquial term for releasing personal information about people, very often people who would like to not have their personal information released. Uh, we constantly see Doxbin being used for the likes of uh, some unnamed hacker or internet troll or, or sometimes people who are noteworthy, uh, who are public identities. I did check. I don't think I'm on there. I think it would be really hard to actually dox me because I put so much shit in line anyway. <laughs> in fact, funny, so this is going to be one of my first – I was thinking about this this morning for some reason. One of my first in-person talks that I do again when I can travel and it's somewhere significant, so let's say like NDC Oslo, I'm going to do a talk that will include someone's attempt last year to dox me. And it was hilarious because – they were trying to dox a bunch of people, most of whom wanted to be very personal and private, and they're digging up stuff. And then there's me, and they're like, oh, here's Troy, and this is his family and everything. And it's like, mate, you're a dickhead. All oh, that's on my Twitter. <laughs> like, you've literally just taken photos from my Twitter and doxed me. Some of it was very funny because they get ex-wife and future wife mixed up and things like this, uh, and there's going to be some very, very funny narrative out of that when I get to do it. Anywho, doxbin. So doxbin... Uh, 380,000 email addresses on there. Now, it, it's interesting because I've I've linked to a story from Flashpoint that says uh, more than 41,000 user credentials exposed. So how is it that there's 41,000 user credentials but 380,000 emails? Well, because apparently there are about 41,000 people who had accounts on Docsbin. Incidentally, it's a pretty recalcitrant sort of thing, you know, to, to go online to create an account to then disclose the identity of people who wish to keep their information private. Now, I can see there are edges of society where we would probably all go, eh, yeah, they kind of deserved it. Westboro Baptist Church comes to mind. <laughs> Google's them and Lulsec. Things like that. We're like, yeah, okay, those guys are dicks. Fair enough. Uh, but for the most part, it is... It is unveiling people who who wish to keep their information private, and I think we all agree that we should have a uh, a right to privacy. It is it's kind of a human right as well. So, <laughs> so there's that. Forty one thousand people. The three hundred eighty thousand email address count is because so many people, so many of the doxers have multiple personal email addresses for individuals listed. So, this brings us back to the old chestnut of what goes into have I been pwned? Is it only accounts? Or is it any email address that appears? And if we think about things like the uh, the Epic data breach, the EPIK uh, alt right friendly website that uh, that got breached, my data was in there not because I had an account, but because they scraped who is records that had my information in there. Uh, every time I ask people, you know, should I load this or not? If your email address is in there but you don't actually have an account, people are like, yeah, yeah, you should. Now, in a case like Epic, folks can always reach out and say, look, you're a legitimate, I'm air quoting, for people listening later on, legitimate organization. You have my data. I wish to know what it is. Uh, good luck doing that for Docspin. I don't think you're going to get a reply on that. Nick Dolo 7 says, didn't get an email from Flexbook or Bunnings. Hmm. That's uh, probably because you're not in there. Oh, actually, did you get an email from Have I Been Pwned? Because if you got an email from Have I Been Pwned, but not from Flexbook or Bunnings, do feel free to reach out to them. I did have at least one occasion 
where Flexbook had contacted me and said, hey, we've got this person who says they've got an email from you, but we can't find them in our database. So I went through the data and I said, yeah, here it is. It's on this line. And they're like, oh, yeah, thanks. So organizations miss this stuff. The reason I typically don't miss it is because I just regex out every single email address in a dump. Now, sometimes that has problems too. So one of the, the issues I discovered with Docsbin is because of the way the data is formatted, if someone has an account, no problems, it was in like a, a proper delimited CSV style uh, row. But if someone has an email address listed against their docs, that was part of a field which then had formatting within the field, including escaped line returns with a backslash N. So what was happening is you get like, backslash n troy at whatever whatever and my regex would go okay well then that email address is n troy at so i did have to go back through the data strip out everything that began with an n parse it back out to treat backslash n's as line returns and so the point is is that it's not an exact science either me getting email addresses out of a out of a breach system or the owner of the system getting email addresses uh, but uh, Nick007, like, definitely reach out to them uh, because if you got a notification from Have I Been Pwned, then your email address is in there. It just, it just is, unless I've screwed something up, and I don't think I do sometimes. <laughs> I don't think that was it. Last one from yesterday. Good time zone with the Americans up. Uh, guns.com. Guns.com had 376,000 unique email addresses breached in Jan last year. The data included gun purchases, physical addresses, phone numbers, partial card data, bcrypt password hashes, 78% already in Have I Been Pwned. I couldn't fit it in the tweet, but it also had things like date of birth as well. So this is worrying. I'm trying not... Oh, no. Who cares if I upset people? It's worrying for a couple of things, a couple of reasons. First of all, entirely objectively, you now have a great big list of people who have bought guns and where they live and what their phone number is and some other data which could be used as part of social engineering attacks. That doesn't feel very good. I flag this as sensitive, and the reason why, and this is what I think roughly like half of America probably doesn't understand, is that having guns is weird. <laughs> like for everyone else, having guns is just the weirdest, weirdest thing. I cannot think of another... Western country, modern society, where it is ever okay or socially acceptable to have a gun outside of your farmer or you're a pistol shooter or something. But the, the idea of having one to protect yourself is just the weirdest, weirdest thing, which is why it's been banned basically everywhere except for North America. I appreciate Canadians. There's a bit of a thing there too. So honestly, if, if you knew someone here had a, I don't think you can even legally quite sure you can't legally have a gun to protect yourself here. Uh, if you knew that here, there is a massive stigma around it. Uh, if I knew my neighbour had a gun, I'd be like, mate, what the hell is wrong with you? Grow up, be responsible. And there's now like half of America going, well, this is responsible because I need to protect my family. Good Jim Jeffries get on this. So I appreciate I'm upsetting a <laughs> slice of my audience, but this is also why I flagged it as sensitive because the idea of having a gun in your house is a stigmatization in most of the world to one extent or another. Uh, all of that aside, purely objectively, and we, you know what, we did see one. What was the other one? There was one in the UK as well. And I think it's a little bit more popular in the UK in case they need to hunt foxes or the French or something like that. Uh, 
But it is one of those really sort of bygone era things, isn't it? Uh, what do we got here? Guns. Guns and Robots. No, that's a game. Guns.com. That's the one we just spoke about. Gun Trader. That was the one. In July 2021, United Kingdom-based website Gun Trader suffered a breach that exposed 112,000 unique email addresses. I didn't flag that as sensitive. Why didn't I do that? That probably should have been. I might go back to that. Um, anyway, that was that. <laughs> that's on the comments. Nick Dello, sir, back to Flexbooker. Uh, no, I didn't. I definitely used Drive and Collect. Oh, okay. So, you, no, you didn't get one from Have I Been Pwned. You used Drive and Collect. Look, I'm quite sure I've used Drive and Collect as well, but I have never, I was not in the Flexbooker data breach. So if you didn't get it from Have I Been Pwned, you're not in that data set. CoinHive. Let me talk about something a little bit, a little bit weird here. Now, I want to carve out some time to talk more or write more about CoinHive. So if you're uh, if you're just new to this, CoinHive is the JavaScript-based crypto miner that you embed in a website. And the whole idea of it is that you can monetize your traffic by mining some Ethereum in their browser. Now, that was always a shitty model because you're effectively stealing people's CPU cycles in order to line your own pockets. Uh, what then happened is they effectively went bust. Uh, that they couldn't trade any longer. It just no longer made sense. Uh, someone who originally owned the domain, I still don't even know exactly who it is. It was a very anonymous uh, account. Then gave it to me. I was it last year? It must have been sometime last year. I set CoinHive up to uh, start popping a little JavaScript alert saying, hey, someone's trying to run a crypto miner in your browser. And some people got quite upset about that. <laughs> which is good because now someone's just trying to visit a website and they're suddenly getting this like modal, but you could dismiss it. And then we got to the point where it's like, look, this is just not changing. There are still people that are seeing CoinHive on compromised sites. Um, so I made the modal indismissible. Now, of course, you could go into the DevTools, F12 your way in. Could be hacking, though, depending on if you're in the state of Georgia. Keep coming back to the US today, don't we? Uh, <laughs> You could go in there and just remove it from the DOM, but it basically killed it for anyone non-technical. Uh, and then it, what it read, what it does is it like does JavaScript set timeout, then redirects to my website to the page about CoinHive. And then I had this weird email from someone, uh, and, and incidentally, I've had some really really interesting emails from people. So, for example, I had a very interesting discussion with someone. This is all going into a draft blog post, where we we basically worked out that he had a compromised MicroTik router that was embedding CoinHive on every non-HTTPS page. And he contacted me and said, hey, every website I go to, he must be going to a lot of insecure stuff, is showing your message. And then I'm like, okay, what router do you have? And he's like, MicroTik. And yeah, here we go. So he got a new router, happy days. But this person pinged me. This is just yesterday. <laughs> I'm not going to read the person's name, but this is just like, the, to me, just exemplifies the weirdness I get. Troy, first of all, I think cryptocurrencies are a complete waste of resources. Right. But I was curious why you think cryptojacking is more immoral than ads that can have the same performance hit to a device and are often used to sell data to data brokers. And anyway, the guy basically just went on a rant about ads. Uh, and and what's I always find this funny, right at the end of it, he's like... Um, in reality, it's worse to the point the internet has shrunk significantly and access to quality... Shrunk significantly. It's bigger than ever. 
because <laughs> we're connecting so much shit to it, shrunk significantly and access to quality resource information is non-existent. However, given that you work for Microsoft, as soon as someone says that, you know they're going to get angry at you about something. Given that you work for Microsoft, I'm sure either you are blunting your opinion or are willfully complicit. After all, they pay your bills. Surely you have a dilemma with the lengths the, com- with the, lengths the company you work for tracks people shows advertising into the OS and stifles competition. Maybe not. I wouldn't expect you to. No, I don't have a problem with it because I don't work for him and they don't pay me any money. So, you know, he didn't know that. That would take research <laughs> to figure that out. But I, I just get the most bizarre things. I actually had to disable comments on the CoinHive blog post. It's the only blog post I have with comments disabled because I started getting so much spam to it. But look, the, the easy answer is is that the reason CoinHive was such a shitty business model, and in fact, I said this to him. Uh, I said it was a shitty business model. Uh, <laughs> the reason it's such a shitty business model is because it was surreptitiously running in people's browsers, and about two-thirds of the time it was there because a website had been compromised. It was driving up CPU cycles as much as possible and taking small amounts of money out of your wallet, courtesy of the electricity you pay for, and putting it in someone else's. I have lots of problems with ads and tracking, don't get me wrong. But you kind of know what you're getting into. You know, like it's a different model. That's the reason why that model is undesirable but legal and still runs. Whereas the crypto mining thing uh, was usually there through illegal activity and everybody hated it. If it was that legitimate, you would actually see it running on a... You'd see it on the Bunnings website or the Kogan website or something like that. It's it's not. (sighs) IQ Blackhawk, Jesus. Yep, yeah, that's pretty much. I, I, that's one of many ways words I used after I got this. <laughs> um, he also didn't like the fact he said your article draws attention to Russia and China being the primary culprits, even comparing the act to hacking. Reason why is in the original blog post I wrote, I showed the Cloudflare analytics showing uh, of the CoinHive traffic uh, where it was originating from. The vast majority of it was actually coming from China and Russia. Now, interestingly, I checked the stats yesterday before applying to this guy. China is now way down the list, which makes me think that it was CoinHive might have been on some key sites used by folks in China, and now it's gone from there. Uh, and the number one position by a factor of at least two was the US, uh, and after that was Russia. Uh, and then India, and okay, they've got a big population. So what I do intend to do is to take all of these logs, which I'm still collecting from CoinHive, and write something insightful about it. Uh, I'm actually quite looking forward to writing that. I'll just a, a little bit of time to sit there and analyze it because I find it fascinating. Like every website running this, I have effectively killed. Like how is it? <laughs> how is it still a thing? And just for, uh, let's actually check if I go to Cloudflare and I have a look at just how much traffic is still coming to CoinHive. Why won't this thing die? I've never wanted a website of my own to die so much. Uh, Is it uh, it Coin-Hive? No, it's CoinHive.com. Analytics. All right, so, oh boy. Previous 30 days, 18.1 million requests. It's like 450,000, 500,000 requests, and it's gone up a lot in the last month. Who are these people? Number one culture, United States. 
323,000, that would be visitors there, followed by Russia, China, Brazil, Japan. Um, wow, that's just that's just nuts. How does that continue to be a thing? Unique visitors. I'm doing almost 40,000 visitors a day, uh, which is fascinating. It's, it's, it's oscillating between about 35 and 40,000 people a day are seeing that CoinHive message. Now, because I will have things like referrer headers, I can go through those logs and actually figure out where it's coming from. So uh, more of that to come. Stay tuned for that one. Okay. Spam. Now, another long-standing blog post in draft is about spam. I don't like spam. You don't like spam. The only people that like spam are spammers. Now, one of the places I get a lot of spam from is LinkedIn. And when I get spam on LinkedIn, I flag it as spam. And LinkedIn says, we don't tolerate bad behavior, period. That's literally what they say after you submit the spam report. Uh, and then they come back and go, it's not spam because someone paid for it. <laughs> and it's like, that, doesn't that just make it worse? Some time ago, I stood up uh, a website uh, about spam. Uh, no, not a website, a blog post. If I look for Troy Hunt, spammy. And I titled it, No, I Won't Link to Your Spammy Article, because I get these emails pretty regularly, which boil down to, hey, I read your blog post about whatever, uh, and I have an excellent resource for you to link to. In fact, I'll read the, the quote I put in here. Hi, I came across your blog on Thing, and I must admit it was really nicely written. I also have an article on Thing, and I think it would be a great addition to your blog. A spam. It's unsolicited. It is there for marketing purposes. It is very often done in a commercial context, which I'm going to come back to in a moment. It sucks. It's shitty. These people need a good spanking. So <laughs> I wrote this blog post, and now every time someone sends me a link to their article that they want to get inbound links to, so they want to get troyhunt.com and all these other websites all linking to this other thing because the more stuff that links into that, the greater their SEO is and the more discoverable they are and the more their whatever it is that the selling thing goes up. So what I did is I thought, okay, here's what we'll do. Every time I get that, I'm going to take the title of the page that they want me to link to and I'm going to put it in this blog post and I'm going to put it in a tweet and I'm going to link the tweet to this blog therefore increasing the SEO for that term for my resources that talk about spam and nowhere at all mentioning which service it is that they have actually asked me to link to. So for example, the first one here is the Ultimate Tor Browser Guide for 2020. Someone wanted me to link to a blog post called the Ultimate Tor Browser Guide for 2020. Now I'm not sure if it still does this. I did a quick little test yesterday that didn't have as good a result as what I would have liked. And everyone's Google searches are different based on the other things I've searched for. But if I Google in quotes, the ultimate Tor browser guide for 2020, the number one result is my tweet. <laughs> and then the number two result is no, I won't link to your spammy article, written by Troy Hunt, which pleases me greatly. And just to rub salt in the wound, after I tweet this, I just reply just with the link to the tweet. Nine times out of 10, I get no reply. Occasionally, someone will laugh and say that's funny. Yesterday, someone doubled down and that got funny. So this person. Now, this person's title is Link Building at Yes Style, Director of Growth, Linky Juice. Sounds legit, Linky Juice. Who wants some Linky Juice? That sounds much dirtier than <laughs> what I meant it to. 
Um, hey, Troy. My name here. A cybersecurity expert for Linky Juice. I'd just like to say that I'm a big fan of your website. It just Maybe this doesn't resonate quite the same for everyone else because I don't know if you run things like I do and you get the same sort of emails I do. But when you hear things like, I'm a big fan of your website, it's such a generic, it's very different if it's like, hey, I've been watching you for years. I really like what you've done with Have I Been Pwned. You photos of your jet ski look really cool. And it's like, okay, that's a human. This was clearly a mass marketed message. The buzz is on for cybersecurity these days and finding the best way to ensure privacy on the internet is all the rage, exclamation mark. I noticed that your website covers an article about cybersecurity, which is very important in educating general public about privacy. My website covered an article about... There's like hundreds of articles in there. Now, just for context, before I go on the rest of this message, here's the sorts of weird shit that I've had people send to me. Uh, now, this is... The, the one yesterday is now the 75th entry here, so I'm not going to read them all. But eyeballing through here. Things like, you know, a lot of very standard stuff. Oh, here you go. Infidelity statistics, 2020. Do men or women cheat more? Why is that there? Because I wrote about Ashley Madison. Uh, how to come up with a BS-free answer to this question. What does customer service mean to you? Yeah. Sell Bitcoin for Skrill. The student's research guide. <laughs> now, here's my favorite. Maybe turn it down if you're kids in the car. Or you're going to have a good explanation to give them after this. Number 52, how to put on a chastity cage. <laughs> I love that people can search for that and find my blog. Uh, I, I assume that that was in relation to a blog post about some IoT sex device uh, and they thought that was a good idea. I Anyway, moving on. So <laughs> back to this guy. Very important in educating the general public about their privacy. Thank you for looking out for those who may not be up to date, the little guys. However great, there's a but coming. However great, I did notice that you could add this link. It is to a domain, which I obfuscated, forward slash random, random password generator. Wherever you choose, as it would be a great addition to the completion of the thought with an additional resource. Avast is a random... Yeah, you notice how I didn't actually block out the name of the company? Whoops, now they know. Avast is a random password-generating website whose sole objective is to protect the privacy of its users by providing them with the necessary tool to do so. Let me know if you think it's a good idea. So, I... Uh, <laughs> i just seen Stephen's comment. Number 51 is how to take off the chastity cage. <laughs> If you spam me with that, I will literally add it. I think that would be a good addition. Uh, I replied as per normal. I put that there on my blog post. It's now number 75. And I replied with a link to the tweet. Uh, not expecting a reply. I got a reply. This was last night as well. I was bored. I'm like day 14 in lockdown. I was like, I don't even care anymore. He replies. This isn't spam though. It's exactly what a spam would say, isn't it? So you're like, this isn't spam. And I'm like, how so? He said, we read your article and we're interested. So I'm like, how's it not spam? <laughs> he said, as an expert in cybersecurity, I loved your articles and I think that you can add a resource for your viewers. That's all. Yeah, that's spam. Like, how stupid are you? Like, this is you're literally just reaching out for spam. 
Hey, no, I'm still bored. <laughs> so I'm like, it's unsolicited and promotional. As far as I can tell, you don't work for Avast, and I suspect you're paid to seek out places to try and get free product placement. I assume for a fee. But hey, that's just my view. Let's ask the masses. And this was a learning experience for my son. So Ari's 12, he's getting interested in the internet. And I'm like, here is the power of influence. I have 200,000 something followers. I know how they're going to reply anyway, but let's, let's just run a poll. So I ran a poll. <laughs> Still running. Here's the poll. So first of all, I, I, I realized you cannot put an image in a poll and you also can't embed a tweet in a poll. So I did one tweet that had the image in it. And then I did this one. I said, is LinkedIn in mail asking for links to external resources spam? See last tweet for reference. So just tangentially, this came via LinkedIn in mail. And in mail is effectively something that companies can pay for in order to reach the inboxes of other LinkedIn subscribers. It's still spam as far as I'm concerned. That's part of what was already in this spammy draft blog post. It's just people paying for spam. I asked the question, there have been, as of now, 1,008 votes. 94.5% of people, yes, it's spam. It is a compelling, compelling uh, consensus. So I sent him that. He came back. We do, in fact, work for Avast, and the link insertion is without a fee. We charge for our services, not the link. <laughs> it's like... It's like it's like, and I, I sort of hate these IRL analogies, but the first thing that came to mind is it's like you, you go into a hamburger shop and you're buying a hamburger uh, and all the ingredients are for free. You're just buying the hamburger. And you're not paying for the lettuce and for the burger. You, you're paying for the hamburger. The, everything else is free. Oh, come on, mate. Seriously, this is stupid. And, hey, I saw the comment about completion completion to the thought humans do write like that so someone actually replied to the tweet and they said um, humans don't write like that now I, I don't totally disagree I think I think humans do write these things but they write them to be generic enough that they can then blast them out to large volumes of people guy doubles down he says we can set up a call if you'd like and have a discussion now by this point I'm getting a bit pissed off with this and I'm like I know people at Avast I have communicated with people at Avast before they're for the most part our people so I tweeted at Avast, and I'm like, hey, guys, like, really, is this okay? Uh, and I subsequently reached out to people personally as well and said, is this okay? So um, this guy wants to set up a call and discuss, like, no, 95% say it's spam. I've reached out to Avast. Let's see what they have to say. Hopefully, you'll learn something from this exercise and change your behavior. Anyway, he goes, he goes on, and, and in fairness to the guy, like, he was actually very polite about it. Uh, usually when I call people on this shit, they, they either – tune out very quickly or they get angry and he actually sent me a photo of him in front of his monitor with my tweets smiling and like he seems like a nice guy but he just cannot get it through his skull that this is spam so anyway uh we'll just go the other way we'll just go to avast uh and uh, avast people if you're listening please get in touch with me because i'm not just going to let this go this is really bugs the hell out of me and i've got time because i'm at least for now, <laughs> still in lockdown. <sighs> All right, other comments here. Um, there was a comment in here I saw about book. Any news on your book, says Stephen. IQ Blackhawk, also waiting for it. Uh, <sighs> we got feedback from the preview that needed some work. 
I started the work on that and then we got through to holiday period and we got through to going away and we came back and we got COVID. Well, half of us got COVID. And we've been locked down doing that. And whilst all of that is going on, none of the other stuff in life that I have to deal with both professionally and personally stops. So frankly, it has just been a time deficit. And had I tried to push it out early, I'd really want it out before Christmas. Had I done that, I would have taken shortcuts and I wouldn't have been happy with the result. So we're at that 90-something percent mark. I think over the next... I've made time commitments before. (laughs) Over the next six to eight weeks, we should be able to get it complete. Uh, It is so, so, so close. But I also think that giving it a little bit more time might allow me to add some other things that I think will be really useful. Uh, And I'm just going to leave that hanging there, and you'll just have to wait and see. But look, it it is absolutely positively still there, still coming. Uh, Stephen says, there is always before Christmas this year. Yes. <laughs> oh, jeez, it better be done before Christmas this year. All right, last thing. Press for MMU. I, I feel like I'm going to write a blog post about this because I am, let's be honest, I'm supremely disappointed. Now, I got a Prusa 3D printer bang on about a year ago because it was after I'd been in South Australia with a mate of mine uh, just after New Year's, 2021 and i saw uh, saw the printer and i i was like mate i don't know what i'm doing just tell me what to get and he's like yeah get this stuff and i have done many many really really fun things with the printer particularly getting the kids involved now for the for the uninitiated a 3d printer is, is sort of equal parts complex and simple like there's lots of lots of different moving parts and gears and pulleys and things like this and then there's software and pcbs and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day you've got a roll of filament which is let's just call it special plastic and you are forcing it with a gear down into a very heated end with a nozzle, and then it just moves in three dimensions. Uh, and then it builds a model out of that. Sweet. But it is one roll of filament, which subsequently means it's one color, unless you get like a rainbow one, which just changes as the filament goes through. So if you wanted to create a print, let's say you wanted to create, I'll give you a good example, Deadpool. So imagine everyone knows Deadpool, lots of red and black, and then like white eyes. Uh, and then like a brown harness. I know exactly because I've been looking at a model of it for so long. In fact, I've still got one open here in my Prusa Slicer software right in front of me. So you got Deadpool. Now, you want to print Deadpool not just in the one color, but in multiple colors. So what you can do, different printer manufacturers have different models, but for Prusa, you can get an MMU, and an MMU is a multi-material unit. Now, what this does is automates the process of switching between up to five different filaments. So it is a unit that sits above the printer. And in simple terms, you have five different filaments. The five different filaments feed into the back of the MMU. There is then a little selector head that can move into the five different positions. And there's one which is offset from all the filaments. But effectively, five different positions. There's an idler, which is like a barrel that puts a little wheel onto a filament with a gear so that it can push the filament through. And then as that barrel turns, the idler wheels touch a different filament, presses it onto the gear. So when all the five gears move at the same time, there's only one filament which gets pushed through the selector. It then goes down a tube into the same mechanism that existed before. In a perfect world, when everything works well, if I wanted to print my mate Deadpool just here, and he's got a black stand, it would start with, let's just say, blacks in filament position number one. And it would feed filament position number one through it, print that. When it gets to the point where it needs to do a layer that has some red into it, 
what will happen is that the MMU will start to spin and pull the filament back and the unit down the, the down the hot end would also push that filament up. It would suck it back into the MMU. Then the idler would then select a different filament. The selector would come across and pull that filament out and push it down into the tube, load it back up. The only other variable here is that when you change filaments, there's a bit of residual from the old one. So there's a wipe tower. So you get this block on the side where it wipes the old filament into there until it's extruding the new color. And then it starts to print with that. It's starting to sound complicated as I explain it, isn't it? I cannot get this thing to work. I've spent, it must be dozens of hours. I cannot get it to work stably. There are so many things that can go wrong. And just for context as well, so the Deadpool that I've got here, it requires 1,870 filament changes. So just in very, very simple mathematics, if I was to print this all in one color without the MMU, there are zero filament changes. I would set the filament correctly as a human. That's in there. That's 99.9% .9 going to work stably, no problems. So basically you're going from zero opportunities to screw up a change in filament to 1,870 opportunities to screw up a change in filament. And then the change can screw up for all sorts of different reasons. You've got a 1.75 millimeter filament being passed through a two millimeter diameter tube. When the end gets heated, if it gets a little bit of a blob on it, it can get stuck. If the gear doesn't have enough traction to pull the filament through, particularly when it might have a bit of a blob on it, plus there's all this friction, not only in the tube from the MMU down to the hot end, but also behind the MMU, we won't even get into buffers and things, that's gonna be in the blog post. But you're creating all of these different possible opportunities for the thing just to catastrophically fail. And that's what is consistently happening. And I'm just spending my life, and thank God I'm in lockdown and I don't actually have things to do. I do have things to do, but I don't have anywhere to go. Uh, I'm just spending my life changing bloody filaments and trying to fix the problem. And I started documenting it yesterday because I think I'm going to put it in a blog post. And effectively, like, I've got to figure out a nice title for it because I... I love the Prusa. I love the organization. I think they've created a fantastic community and they're doing wonderful things. But this just feels like pre-alpha product. And this is an MMU 2S as well. So we're multiple generations into the product. So I think today might be my the end of my patience on this. If I can't make it work, I'm going to then spend hours disassembling it, going back to what I was, or what I had before, and then possibly just spending a lot of money buying the XL when it comes out in the middle of the year. So they're doing a bigger one that has all of the multi-material stuff built into it as opposed to an add-on. I'm not sure if that's a good idea or not. I'm so stubborn, though. I just want the damn thing to work. Uh, what else here in the comments? Um, Seriously, can't wait to read it, but it'll be worth it. Take your time. Thanks, mate. Look, I think that that is definitely the uh, the approach. Richard Campbell's here. G'day, Richard. We're just wrapping up, mate. <laughs> Thank you for joining anyway. So, look, I think um, my next steps are I've got to go and give uh, give a little girl another COVID test, and hopefully she is negative and we can all get out of the house, which would be nice. I've got to try and fix my printer. I think the chances of that happening reliably today are... Very, very close to none, which means I've got to write a blog post about how I really love the organization, but I think that the MMU product kind of sucks. McBlazenden says, can you not print the different colo? Can you not print the different colors? I can print 
the different colors. It's just the filament change has so many different possible things that can go wrong. I'll give you a good example. And here's going to back my highs with this for a second. When you read all the tips, because there's huge amounts of information out there about how to make this thing work, a lot of the advice is you've got the printer, you've got the MMU. Now, here are all the things that you need to change to make this reliable. For example, the way the filament feeds from the buffer into the back of the MMU. There's these PTFE tubes that just go into like a clamped plastic shell. Uh, it has no Festo connectors. So you really should go and download the model that has the Festo connectors in it and print that and fix it. All right, that's not a hard one. Uh, the PTFE tubes at two millimeters in diameter make it too easy to get jammed. You really should go and get PTFE tubes that are three millimeter in internal diameter. Still the same four millimeter external diameter, so they fit into the same Festo tubes. But if they're three millimeter and you get a bit of a blob on the end, they can still move. Why don't they ship with that? Well, part of the problem is, is that once you get three millimeters in diameter in the middle and not two millimeters, if you imagine a tube going into, into a socket, now there's extra room as it sort of passes into that socket. If the filament isn't perfectly aligned, it can hit the side of the socket and not pass through. So I've, I've ended up removing that. Uh, what else I say? Um, the tubes that they ship with are higher friction than other tubes. So I spent like a hundred Australian dollars buying freaking Teflon tubes that are slipperier than the original ones to try and take out the friction. He's clarified, McBlazington, colored sections and join them after. Well, if you think about, again, think about Deadpool. Everyone knows what Deadpool looks like. You can't really join that up together. So, I mean, I'm looking at Deadpool now and this is uh, one that, uh, Ari has colored in. Both kids sat there for hours coloring in Deadpool and I was so excited to take their digital creation and turn into something physical. But he's got the red vest, but he's got all these little black buckles. And then he's got tear gas or something like that as a canister and Ari wanted to make that white. Uh, and then you, you think about his mask. It's all like red around the outside and then black and then the white eyes. So you can't stick all those pieces together. If you had uh, larger logical parts that was let, let's say those just squares or something like that you could stick those together you can also change filament at a certain layer so all the have I been pwned logos I print let's say for argument's sake a three mil bottom blue layer and then a two mil white outline on the top which has the border and it says have I been pwned and I manually change the filament in the middle but because it's me doing it as a human I can pretty reliably get it right so no you can't really just do that uh iq blackhawk did you check if there was new custom firmware to improve you're basically asking me have you restarted it <laughs> i appreciate the question yes the first thing i did when i kicked it all off was updated all firmware to the absolute latest um once you get into custom firmware i, I was thinking about actually getting um getting uh new gears at the hot end spending quite a bit of money to do it because apparently they're a lower ratio, they have more, I guess, effectively more torque on the filament. Then you need custom firmware on the printer as well. And I'm just deviating more and more and more away from like a, a known good default state. Uh, and I just started to feel very uncomfortable with that. Okay, we'll see. Next week, I might come back and say I've solved all my problems or I'll come back and say I've reverted it to standard. I don't think I will still be in the same situation because... Uh, that wouldn't feel very good. 
All right, folks, I'm going to call it there. Thank you very much for watching this week. I hope everyone uh, is not in isolation and that I am not in isolation come probably now from now as well. And I will see you next time. Cheers, folks.